is available. I, I know it's uh, uh, the time of rejoicing. It's amazing the, the highs and the lows and the things that can happen in a week's time. And, and this sort of illustrates that, that uh, uh, in one week he is riding triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem and people are worshiping and, and uh, the donkey is uh, there and the colt and, and he is riding victoriously, if you will, into the city of Jerusalem. Within a week, uh, they have crucified him. And you, you have to recognize the, the real juxtaposition of that. And um, I know uh, that's um, not easy. I, we're here in, in the U.S. and we are uh, growing apostolic. apostolic legacy and we are uh, having, uh, you know, we believe in the apostles' doctrine and we have a great legacy and a great history. And I am uh, going to talk about building the church. And I, the reason I, I'm saying these things is I know the Lord himself, and I can't imagine just how confusing this could have been to the Jewish believers and to the disciples and to try to put all of this in perspective versus when the way they were taught what they believed was going to happen. They believed in a triumphant, and do believe in a triumphant return of a Messiah. They believe that that Messiah is going to establish Israel as being uh, sort of the final authority and uh, establishing a connection there. And I know that we can read Revelation and see all of those events unfolding. And I was interested this week as China and Iran made a security pact agreement that they would protect one another. And of course, looking at that military. And Revelation talks about those people coming across and coming down to Israel. And of course, we know that Russia and China are now closer than they've ever been because of uh, feeling that America is at a weak point. And I, whether or not all of that comes to fruition, but just hearing people write about it and hearing people say these things, it, it begins to sort of, you begin to think, wow, I, that we knew the Bible said those things were coming, and yet here we're watching it unfold before our eyes. Of course, a year ago, I could not have imagined that we would have been a year in the grip of coronavirus. Whenever they started immediately the shutdowns, uh, we were told and I believed that, well, if we can hold it down for two weeks, 14 days, you know, if we can just do it for 10 days, for 14 days, we'll, we'll flatten the curve. I heard flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, and I'm sure you did too, and that's been a very flat curve for a long time now. And even now, 
you know, when they have uh, they, uh, Texas, uh, you know, sort of opened up and Florida and Mississippi. And even now you hear the, the reports that, you know, well, it's going to be bad. Whenever you get back, it's going to be bad. And I don't know. I, I don't know how bad. I, I don't know what will happen. I wish I could tell you all that what's going to happen. But what I do know is none of this has caught the Lord uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, sort of shocked. He is not shocked at what's going on. It has allowed him to move people and places into place so that we can see this is how the Lord is setting it up, us up for a one world currency, a one world health organization, a one world government, a one world. We're all now primed for it. Amen. And you understand and I, I get it and yet here we are in the midst of all of this, I would have never imagined, and I'm sorry, I, I wish I was a better prophetic preacher, but a year and, and four months ago, I would have not imagined that a pandemic could do what it was going to do. I could not have imagined that a flu-like virus or a whatever, a SARS virus, whatever you want to call the family, would do to the world what it has done. But I, I know, I took my wife to the airport and and even now, it's there's just hardly any cars. And, I, you know, I was asking her because she's got to fly to St. Louis. And I said, well, you know, Southwest has a flight because it flies every day. I, I took it several times when I had to go to St. Louis. She said, I checked that. They don't fly that one anymore. And I was like, whoa, you know, here we are. Everything's changed now. Just everything, I, you know, has all of a sudden changed because finally, Finding enough passengers and finding enough folks and finding enough. I, I was like, wow, I, you know, I just, I, wow, amazing. And, and here it is. And I, I don't understand it all. And I, I know, but you know, it was that kind of confusion that the early church felt and they could not grasp what Jesus was actually uh, sort of doing. And, and, and it, you know, this sense of building the church. You, you can read it in Matthew and you kind of begin to see how the Lord begins to talk to his disciples. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say you are John the Baptist, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter, of course, answered him the famous line that we can read now. But he made this bold proclamation then. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. Now, of course, what that meant to Simon by saying thou art the Messiah was triumph. Victory overthrowing the Roman government. It did not mean that all of a sudden I'm going to be the Savior and start a whole new religion and open the door to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, Simon preached on the day of Pentecost for the promises unto you and to your children and all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But he had to be awakened three times with a vision before he would go preach to a Gentile. Even though he said the promise was open, 
He didn't really believe or understand that that meant Gentiles. In fact, he was very adamant that I'm not going to touch anything unclean. I'm not even going to go to that Gentile's house. Although he had seen Jesus heal a centurion's servant. And he had seen Jesus heal a woman who was, who was a Canaanite woman whose daughter was sick. And he had seen the Lord do all kind of things. But Simon wasn't about to lose his Jewish heritage and associate with them. So when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, he was talking about triumph and victory. And this Sunday, he was talking about, here he's going to come riding into the city and we're going to be victorious. And the Roman government is going to be overthrown. And so Jesus answered him in the affirmative, blessed. Art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it. What is the it that it had revealed? That he was the Christ. That indeed he was the Messiah. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Simon, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church upon this rock that I am the Messiah. I will build my church. Not upon Simon Peter. Simon Peter was not the rock, but the revelation of who Jesus was, was what he said, I will build my rock. And the gate church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we love that. And we hear that and we read that. But it, the verses continue. That's verse 18. Just continue through. Verse 19. He says, And I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should told, tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. He said, I don't want you to tell anybody what you've understood. Now he had told him, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And it's amazing that Simon was the one that preached on the day of Pentecost and opened the door to whomever wants to receive, the, be part of the church, you can repent, be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts the second chapter. It's also Simon, I alluded to a while ago, that gets the vision and opens the church to the Gentiles. So Simon was in fact going to fulfill these verses about binding and loosing. And he said on the day of Pentecost, the promises to whomever. And he, Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody that I am the Christ. And at that moment, it switched then for Jesus. And you'll notice the next verse. From that time forth, began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. He just said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And at that moment, they believe he's the Messiah. Of course, they're thinking triumphant entry, conquering Messiah, wonderful, powerful man. 
And Jesus then starts telling them, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. In order to build my church, I'm going to have to shed my blood. I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. Now that, we, uh, 2,000 years later, we get excited about that. And we talk about, and of course we know, next Sunday is resurrection morning. We know the end of the story. But for the Jews, that was heresy. For the Jews, they couldn't get it. For the Jews, they were upset by that whole notion. As a matter of fact, when Jesus started talking to them, read the next verse. Simon Peter, the guy that had the great revelation. Thou art Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Now tells Jesus, be it far from you, Lord. You're not going to Jerusalem to die. And begins to rebuke Jesus. Now Jesus, of course, realizes that Simon has one thing in his mind, but doesn't quite fully understand what it's going to take to build the church. The blood that's going to have to be shed. And so Simon, Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Boy, that's a pretty... I mean, you're calling him the devil. I didn't actually say you were the devil, but I'm saying that voice that I just heard you speak through, I know where that voice came from. Now, I know you've never had anybody speak to you where you recognize the source of their words. A lot of times we immediately associate the words with the person. And sometimes people speak and they don't realize they're voicing somebody else's thoughts. Right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you hear something totally different. <laughs> and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Now that, you know... I, I, you know, very few. I mean, there are a few folks that have told me you've offended me. But, you know, they, they don't usually say, get behind me, Satan, before they do it. <laughs> so imagine coupling those things together. That was pretty strong. And he said, for you don't even savor, you can't even taste the things of God. Now that's even... Stronger yet, thou savorest not the things that are God, but those that are of men. And then he says unto him, to the rest of the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now immediately, when you think about taking up your cross, I mean, Jesus is going to take up his cross, and he is basically telling them, you're going to have to take up your cross. And I am thankful. I, 
very, I, I know folks that have suffered and that have gone through horrible things and we have some in our midst that are going through a lot of suffering and a lot of, uh, of cross, if you will. And yet, um, <clears throat> you know, take up your cross. Boy, I don't want to hear that. Deny myself. I don't want to hear that. And I understand there's burdens. You know, the Bible says, bear you one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of, of Christ. And, you know, bear one another's burdens. And then thorns. The Bible talks about thorns. You know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what it was. He prayed for it to be healed. But the thorn was never removed. And then you have that sense of a cross. And, of course, a cross. And we know this week because of the Passion Week and what we We've read and seen and, and seen dramatized that it, it is gruesome and it is it is very you know if you're going to be crucified it's bloody it is you know you you don't come through a crucifixion saying woo look at me ain't I sharp I mean it beats everything out of you it takes you know. You want to say, I want to humble myself? Well, if, if you really want to, you know, humble yourself, I guess the whole point of, of a crucifixion is extremely humbling. As a matter of fact, I've been in Mexico and, and, and seen uh, the church, and I, I don't I even want to make, I think I, I've forgotten the name, actually, but where, where individuals in the whole, the plaza in front of them, and I've watched as, as they take cords and they beat their backs, as they walk through and try to humble themselves and pay penance and try to break myself, and I'm going to come and I'm going to crawl, and I, I will continue to, to you know, just in south of our border and I've been in the Philippines and watched as they brought individuals on crucifixions and they, they were doing what they could. I want to tell you, I understand. I, I've never done that. I don't haven't participated in it. But I'm here to tell you that it's hard enough to humble yourself when you're faced with, you know, it's as hard as taking a whip to yourself. To say, oh boy, don't, don't go there. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you feel. Well, I don't feel, I can't believe they, I can't believe. Oh, sometimes I got to crucify that in me. I can't believe they act, treated me that way. I can't believe, ha, who do they, who do I think, who, ha, ha, ha. Hard to put the cross in my life. Because something crosses me all the time. Huh? And when I get crossed, I don't want to climb up on it. And say, okay, you win. It's alright. But, but it isn't alright. You know what you did. Oh, and, and it's something that nobody else can help you with. I'm sorry. You face your cross, your, uh, it's your cross. Your cross might be A, somebody else's might be B, somebody else might be C, D, E, F, G, huh? Yes, but we all have a cross. Amen. And he said, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross. And so then Jesus went on and, and he said, 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What he was basically saying is, I'm going to have to go and be crucified in order to build a church. And you're going to have to be willing to be crucified if you're going to be part of the church. You're going to have to be willing to lose your life, to deny yourself, to all of a sudden it's not what you want, the way you want, how you want, but it's now, Lord, what do you want out of me? You say, well, I want to be part of the church of what I want it to be and I want to do what I want to do and if I don't like and if I don't want, I'm sorry, that's not how the church is supposed to operate. It's a deny yourself, lose your life. Huh? But you say, but pastor, you know, and, and I know, over in Acts it said take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God it's not my church and I know you it's you know pastor Showstrand, pastor Newstrand, pastor Dyer no it's not our church it's the church of God that he hath purchased with his own blood it's a one God scripture because you know God didn't give his blood Jesus gave his blood you can say it's the church of God the church of Jesus Christ, the church, whatever name you want to put on it. But I want to tell you, the only way it got here was it was purchased with blood that was shed on Calvary. That's why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that made a way for me to be a part of his body. What a privilege that is. Oh, I know. You can come in and I can shake your hand. You can be here three Sundays and I can say, you're part of this church and this assembly. And we, we love that and we are thankful for all of those that give and support and are part of the church. But I'm going to tell you, there is a church that I can't get you into. I can invite you and you can be a part of this local assembly. But the church had to come through blood. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the death and the burial and the blood and the resurrection. It was purchased by his blood. What are you saying? That's why, and Sister Costa asked me the other day, she said, uh, what might seem like a simple question. She said, wonder why a verse like this in Revelation, and, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. She said, why didn't it say the goat slain from the foundation of the world because later when the law was given the goat was what took away the sins they killed a goat for all of those that were you know they killed a goat that went for the sins of the people and I said well I, I don't know maybe I, it doesn't the Bible's not totally clear on it but all I know is that 
when you think of the lamb that was used at Passover, that was individual. The goat was for the entire nations. But when the lamb was slain at Easter or for Passover meal, it was one individual family, one lamb per household. And I said it got right down into a very personal connection with folks. That it's not the sins. He didn't come as the goat that was slain for everybody, but it's personal invitation that comes to everybody. Every generation's got to be first generation. I don't care what your daddy did, what your grandpappy did, or what your great-grandpappy did. You've got to say, I've got to deny myself and humble myself and let the blood wash me. It's not just something corporately. I wish I could tell you, okay, yeah, you know, it's kind of like I've heard people say, well, I pray for the food, you know, the first of the year. I just say, Lord, bless everything I'm going to eat this year. <laughs> well, maybe that works. I don't know. Some, you know, Jewish believers, they pray after they've eaten. Lord, thank you for what I did eat. Bless it. I, I, but I want to tell you something. When it comes to being part of the church... It's very individual, very personal. And I understand. We raise our children, and I try to raise them in church. And I, I raise my girls, tried to do the best I could. Raise them in church, come to church, pray with them, worship with them, do all these things. But at some point in time, guess what? They got to do it individually. We can do so much, and then you got to be the one to say, this is what I want to be a part of and what I need. And I want that blood to wash me. And I'm willing to deny myself. Oh, well, right now, I want to do this and I want to go there and I want to be in God and I want to and I want to and I want to and I don't want to and I don't feel like and it's not my personality and I don't, I'm not the kind and I'm not and I'm not well you know I don't do that I don't worship I, I don't act like I I I I I I I I you will never be a part of the church with a capital I in your life at some point, you have to humble yourself and say, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I need you from the very first animal that was slain to cover Adam and Eve to the lamb that was the substitute for Isaac whenever he was going to be sacrificed by Abraham to the numerous lambs killed in the Passover to the countless animals sacrificed for sin and blood that was necessary to atone for sin when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming he said behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Revelation said the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Paul understood this and as a Jew it sort of blew his mind. He wrote to the church at Ephesus blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose a church that was going to be blood bought. I'm so thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for what he shed on Calvary.
And he said, and it goes on in chapter 1, I could read the whole chapter, and I put all things under his feet, who gave him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his Today, we are the body. Yes. You are the manifestation of Christ on the earth. I'm not saying you're Jesus, but we're supposed to represent him. That's why in Antioch, when they were called Christians, because they represented Christ. What a privilege that is. Well, you know, I, 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 I do what I want to do. Christ never did. He was always about whatever my father tells me. That's what I do. He didn't want to suffer on Calvary. He prayed, he prayed alone lots of times. The only time we have that he didn't pray alone was when he asked Peter, James, and John, come with me. He knew this was going to be his most difficult battle to fight, to be willing to lay down his life. And he said, can you pray with me? And they fell asleep. Imagine that. You know. And, and, and hard to, I know, hard to think in terms of who we are. But, you know, he was somewhere 30 33? Shauna, do you know what it's like to be 30? <laughs> Today's Shauna's 30th birthday. That's why I asked her. Somewhere, 30, 33, you know, somewhere in that range. And to imagine now! You're not your own anymore. You're going to lay down your life. That's not easy. It's not easy. But I want to be part of the church. Oh, he said, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth and all. We, the church, are the body of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. And, and so, you know, Imagine, if you will, this is why, this is why I've, I've often told young folks that when you're thinking about what you should do and you want to be part of the church, well, just ask Jesus what he would do. Say, Jesus, do you want to go there? Do you want to drink this? you want to smoke that? you want to have that? you want to do this? And see what Jesus tells you. Because you're part of his body. That all of a sudden makes, but you don't understand, I know what he would want, and I've even had people tell me, and, I, and this always blows my mind, Pastor, I knew what you would tell me, so I didn't. <laughs> if you knew what I would tell you, and you knew what Jesus would tell you, and you knew what the Bible was telling you, Your capital I is working overtime. Because yes. you're wanting to do something that you know. Okay. 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross. Whosoever seeks to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever seeks to lose his life, that's why this is not an, a very popular Sunday in one sense when you think of what Jesus is going to go through for us, for me, individually, how can I not serve him? He did this for me so that I could come boldly into the throne room and the blood was shed. Oh, I, I realize that we're, you know, and I, I, I know it's hard. For, it was hard for the early church. And I, we're going to get ready. We're going to stand here in a moment. I just want to read one more slide and then I will stand. And I, I know it's, it, it's the Lord's Supper. But, but Paul understood it was a mystery that was hidden from ages and generations. But was now made manifest to the saints. To whom God would make known the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now, we don't believe that this is actually the blood or actually the body. But what we believe is it reminds us. The representation of this is what Christ did for me. And what I'm supposed to have. Paul even said, what advantage is it of being a Jew? The only advantage is that unto them were committed the oracles of God. In other words, they had the word. We who were Gentiles didn't know what it was to have a lamb slain for us. We didn't understand what it was for them to have a sense of the blood that was shed. Oh, Gentiles offered sacrifices and they brought sacrifices, but to imagine the atonement and the blood, the body that was broken and what Jesus went through in order to satisfy the law. We understand it now because we have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we have the oracles of God. But at this moment, the Gentiles didn't have any of that. And Paul, writing to the Gentiles, said, you don't understand the great mystery that Isaiah didn't understand and Jeremiah didn't understand and all these people that wrote about what was going to happen. They didn't see Jesus as being that Savior that would be the suffering Messiah. They believed in a Messiah, but not in a servant that would suffer, that would lay down his life. So when you think in terms of who we are today, what a privilege that when we open this up and we take a wafer and uh, drink the juice, that we remember what he went through in order to build a church. What he went through in order to build a church. To have a body. That I could be part of it. And if he went through that for me. 
I can't humble myself down whenever I don't want to do something. Well, I don't want to praise Him. I don't want to worship Him. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I. But Lord, what you went through in order to get a church, how could I not praise you? How could I not worship you? How could I not? So if you want to stay.